you for listening to the SSPX podcast and our next installment of the SSPX interview series. Today, we're happy to have Father Alphonsus Maria join us to talk about a less well-known priest who deserves much more attention here in the 21st century, Father George Catherine. Father Alphonsus felt so strongly that Catholics today needed to know more about this Australian Redemptorist that he wrote a biography, The Story of Father George Catherine, which has been published by Angelus Press. His story is the story of the early days of the crisis in the Church. His story mirrors that of the Society of St. Pius X's founder, Archbishop Marcel Lefebvre. And as Bishop Bernard Fillet wrote in the foreword to this book about Father Catherine, quote, suddenly the normal actions, the normal life, turns into heroism. This example should give us joy and courage for our times. Let's join Father Alphonsus Maria now to learn more about this quiet, heroic priest. So, Father, you just wrote a biography on the story of Father George Catherine. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about who was Father Catherine? Father Catherine, George Catherine, he was born in 1898, and he died in 1989. So he was born in Austria in a little village in the Austrian Tyrol, uh, up in the, high up in the Alps, the village of Fiss. His family, very pious Catholics, they were influenced by the Redemptorist Fathers uh, from Innsbruck, actually. And uh, one little story um, was that Mrs. Catherine, the mother of the family, before she was married, she was uh, getting getting on in years. She was approaching 30 and wondering, you know, what was going to happen, if she was going to get married or not. So there was a redemptorist priest up there preaching a parish mission. And she approached the priest and said, Father, you know, what should I do in terms of marriage? And he said, you will be approached by three men asking your hand in marriage. Take the third. And that is how she became Mrs. Catherine. So uh, the, the family had to move to Chicago in 1903 when little Father Catherine was only five years old. And they settled in the Redemptorist parish of Old St. Michael's in Old Town, Chicago. And they had numerous relatives that moved there before them. And they had numerous cousins, etc., in this in the same parish. So they grew up in this Redemptorist parish. It was, Chicago was very it was a, a, a bad city at the time, actually, a lot of you know, murders happening, etc. And yet the children, they always stay close, as they said, they stay close to God, to their family, and to their parish school. And out of the, they, 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 it was a family of nine children. Two of the children died in childhood back in Austria. Of the seven children who uh, uh, um, came into adulthood, the five of them became religious. Three of them became redemptorists, particularly. Uh, there were five religious, and the other two brothers, the only others who did not uh, become religious, they both married the same woman. And to find out how that happened, you have to read the biography. So Father Catherine, when he was a young man, he realized that he had a vocation. He was told that he should try the Redemptorist because he had grown up among Redemptorists, etc. Although it was actually a Marianist brother who told him that he had, he should try the Redemptorists. And so he the the biography it goes through his life, and I look at the at his life through this lens of of his vocation. How did God start this vocation? The seed of this vocation. How did that seed grow? How did his vocation 
vocation continue and and how did it how did it um, uh, change over the years and so we we start off looking at his family because his parents were very pious people they were third order franciscans can always consistent about their prayers, about a spirit of faith in the family, faithful to their daily rosary, etc. That's how five of the children ended up with religious vocations. And then Father Catherine, he followed this grace of God through all these years, through his novitiate. After his ordination, he became a professor in the Redemptorist um, a seminary, a pre-seminary for a number of years. He later, later became a parish priest also in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, and, and various places. He, uh, in California also, it was in Whittier, that's near Los Angeles, Fresno, and Oakland. Now, when the crisis in the church came in the 1960s, he had cooperated with God's grace in this vocation for so many years that he never said the Novus Ordo Mass. He was always faithful to the Tridentine Mass. So he realized that something radically wrong was going on in the church. He had some clout in the province because he had been the consultor to the provincial of Oakland. And so basically what the Redemptorist said is, you don't tell us what you're doing on the weekends, and we won't ask you. So he, that's how he managed to get away with saying the traditional Mass. And he helped out the Society of St. Pius X from 1975, so that was when Father Post came to California, uh, until Father Catherine died in 1989. And most of the society chapels in Northern California go back to Father Catherine. He either sired them himself or he influenced it. Uh, so, for example, uh, Carmichael, California, St. Michael's in Sacramento, St. Michael's in Bakersfield. Then there was also uh, Walnut Creek, California, which is, has been defunct for many, many years. Those chapels were all basically started by Father Catherine. And then he also uh, went to uh, South Lake Tahoe, which is now Carson City, Nevada, and also uh, Campbell, California, which is now Los Gatos, California. So he helped out the society every weekend all these years, uh, supporting the work of Archbishop Lefebvre, and uh, we've been given 18 letters uh, by a lady uh, who wishes to remain anonymous, uh, but she saved these 18 letters that Father Catherine had written back in the 1970s to various members of her family, and in each letter he goes through one by one these different aspects of the crisis in the church, whether it's with regards to the Novus Ordo Mass, or the obligation of attending the Novus Ordo Mass, or of the why why it's okay to attend the traditional mass. It can be with regards to the uh, supply jurisdiction for marriages and confessions for traditional priests, etc. Each one of these letters, he's outlining a whole theology, because he was an intellectual. So he outlines this whole theology of the crisis. And when you take what Father Catherine wrote and set it next to what Archbishop Lefebvre wrote, and you just see you their thinking was ideal identical, which is really beautiful to see this, that you know this identical way of thinking about the crisis in the church. And Father Catherine always had a very great respect and admiration for Archbishop Lefebvre. He was always faithful to the society. Even though he remained, he lived in his redemptorist house until he died, uh, still he, he helped out the society until he died. He was always faithful to the Archbishop and to the society. Um, so his, his vocation did change then in those last 
last 20 years of his life from 1969 until 1989. I can also mention that the uh, uh, Post Falls, also Post Falls, in a certain way, owes its origin to Father Catherine because while everyone knows about Father Debeshere, of course, uh, nevertheless, before Father Debeshere, up there in Post Falls, it was Father Catherine in uh, Coeur d'Alene, Idaho, because uh, Father Post explains this uh, in one of his writings. He says that back in 68, that was even before the Novus Ordo came out, Father Catherine was saying the Latin Mass on a side altar in St. Thomas Church, that was the Redemptorist Church in Coeur d'Alene, and there were more people going to his Latin Mass on the side altar than there were going to the, the English translation. At that time, it wasn't the Novus Ordo. It was still sort of one of those uh, uh, normative forms that was going towards the Novus Ordo. And it was from there, the, the Redemptorist Superior said, oh, you know, we can't handle this, so we're going to just ship you off to Oakland, California, which was good for the rest of us who ended up knowing him in California, of course, and how he touched everyone in California. But it was after Father Catherine left from Coeur d'Alene, those faithful there, then found Father Debaucher, and that was the beginning of Immaculate Conception Church in Post Falls. It actually, in that sense, it does go back to Father Catherine even. So he had a lot to do with the traditionalist movement on the West Coast. He died a very holy death, April the 3rd of 1989. Uh, it was that year, it was the Feast of the Annunciation of Our Lady uh, because of the when Easter fell, uh, the Annunciation had to be transferred to the 3rd of, of April. St. Alphonsus, our founder, actually says, that we should all hope to die on a Saturday or a feast day dedicated to Our Lady uh, as a sign of our love and devotion to, to the Blessed Virgin. And, uh, of course, St. Alphonsus died on a Wednesday. But um, uh, Father Catherine died on, on the Feast of the Annunciation, to which he had a very great devotion. He had a very great devotion to the mystery of the Incarnation. He loved Christmas. Redemptress actually always celebrate the 25th of every month as Little Christmas. That actually comes from the Carmelites, in fact, that St. Alphonsus took on also. So every 25th of the month, we have special devotions. The little the, the statue of the infant in the, in the crib is put out on the altar, and there's uh, certain devotions written by St. Alphonsus that are done each 25th of the month. And then in the evening after, after, the, uh, after the meal, then there's, there's Christmas carols that are sung each 25th. So Father Catherine had kept this, this great love for the infant Jesus, for the mystery of the incarnation all his life long, and it's, it was appropriate that he died on the Feast of the Annunciation, that a great feast of Our Lady. Um, the Father Catherine, he many people who still remember him uh, you, in their fifty you know, people would be in their fifties or more by now because he's been gone thirty four years. Uh, Father Catherine, people still remember him. They oftentimes refer to him as the Holy Father Catherine. Uh, he had a reputation for sanctity. He was he was very edifying his whole life. Every you know, uh, people often associate him with uh, with his poverty. He had this incredible spirit of poverty. You know everything that he war was was patched or it was you know second hand it was really cheap etc uh, you know he never spent any money on himself when he was going traveling uh, beggars would come up to him and you know he only had like a peanut butter sandwich or something and he'd give it to them he didn't he left nothing for himself so he said you know I'm not going to buy the food that's in the in the in the train stations because you know it's it's a it's a sandwich and it's cost two dollars that's too much for me to buy you know so, so he was this incredible spirit of poverty people remember how he used to melt down the the uh, wax stubs from the candles and then put and then melt them into these wax jars that he would then put on the altar for all night uh, vigils with the Blessed Sacrament. So he had this wonderful spirit of poverty. I would say that it was his spirit of recollection.
that impressed me the most as a child. I can remember that one of his favorite phrases from the Gospels was this phrase from our Lord in the Last Supper, where Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. And that really sums up beautifully this interior life of Father Catherine. Even when he was busy, and he was very busy, you know, dealing with people and helping people and teaching them, etc., he was always focused on God. It was always about God first. And it was because it was about God first that he was able to help so many souls. So it's his spirit of recollection. I inherited some of his um, sermons and like that after he had died. And among his, his sermons, he used to put on these little sermon notes on, on like any little piece of paper. And so there's this little piece of paper in, among those notes. And it says, prayer is the occupation of the soul with God. Recollection is the preoccupation of the soul with God. And that really sums up beautifully the spirit of Father Catherine. He's definitely a very, while he was very, very active, very clearly that, that he, very clearly contemplative as well. Why is he important nowadays? Because of his fidelity to Catholic tradition. He did not, he did not wander one way or the other. He was never thinking about, oh, should I become a set of a cantist or should I become a modernist? No, he always knew that he was a traditional Catholic, no matter what. One of his phrases, which is used as the motto for the biography, is only what the church has always taught and believed, nothing more nothing less. And that really sums up the spirit of faith of Father Catherine also. He, he did not waver one side or the other. He was never questioning sort of like, um, is this really what the church teaches? No, he knew it and he, he kept to it and he was able to pass it on to each generation since. And Father, uh, so kind of, that's kind of the life of uh, Father Catherine. Uh, why uh, why write the biography on him? Well, Father Catherine, he was the he converted my my family to Catholicism back in the 1970s. Um, so I felt that I owed it to him. Uh, he was my first spiritual father, mentor. Um, honestly, I can say that anything that I have good in me, uh, it after God and Our Lady, I owed entirely to Father Catherine. He had such an influence over my life. Uh, you know, there were the last thirteen years of of his life, from the time I was five until the time I was eighteen. Uh, I I would serve mass regularly for Father Catherine, sometimes two or three times a week. Uh, so I grew up with this 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 edifying, holy, old redemptorist who was, you know, redemptorist down to his fingertips and you know, totally traditional Catholic all the way. And it was a r rare privilege that I cannot thank God enough for to, that, to have known him for those 13 years. And that's certainly what made me determined to become a redemptorist myself. And uh, I can certainly say that I, I do not regret one moment of being a redemptorist. And again, that's thanks after God and Our Lady to Father Catherine. Now, the... 
I started collecting information on Father Catherine back in 19... He died in 1989. I started collecting stories about him, and it was about 1998. Just, you know, people would, would see, oh, you're a redemptorist. Oh, hey, I knew Father Catherine. And, you know, tell me these anecdotes. I started writing them down. And then it was just last year, 2021, I was talking to the redemptorist uh, archivist, uh, Patrick Hayes, out in Philadelphia. You know, uh, he helps the modern redemptorist there. And and I was uh, talking to him about uh, someone else. And and I mentioned that I was thinking about writing this biography of Father Catherine. And he said, oh, hey, you know, so I've, 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 seen his, I've seen Father Catherine's file here in the archives. So, you know, if you want any help, I can certainly, I can certainly help you out. And uh, if, if you ever get around to writing it, give me a copy for our archives. So I thought, oh, maybe that's divine providence trying to say something to me. And I looked at my calendar, and for the first time in 21 years of my priesthood, I realized I don't have anything scheduled for six weeks. So I thought, oh, I guess this is God saying something. <laughs> so I used those six weeks then to, to do the first rough draft of the biography. I interviewed... Over the years, I've interviewed about 60 people for the biography. So there's a whole wealth of anecdotes, stories, um, jokes about Father Catherine as well. Uh, many, many different stories. Uh, Patrick Hayes, the archivist from the Redemptress, was very helpful. And he, uh, he opened up the archives to me. He sent me over 200 pages of documents and letters and all sorts of things about Father Catherine. So a lot of that made its way into this biography. And I w there were things about Father Catherine I had certainly never heard of myself in my life. Fascinating stories. So, um, so that was that was a big impulse in writing this book. Now, another reason, among several, um, was to, one reason for writing this book is lest these stories be lost, because the older generation of traditional Catholics are dying off now. And the there is a real danger, a number of us priests have been talking about this for a few years now, there's a real danger that the younger generation of traditional Catholics growing up now, they have absolutely no idea what their parents and grandparents went through to remain traditional Catholics. And so it's a reminder, this biography is a reminder to the younger generation of what their grandparents went through to, in order to keep their faith and to remind them also the sufferings of the traditional Catholics and to, 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 to appreciate what they went through. I think that's an important aspect. And to realize that the crisis in the church is still going on, you know, 50, 60 years later, is still going on. And the fight remains the same because even though the... Things have mutated, they have changed over the years, over the decades, but the fight itself remains the same. That as traditional Catholics, we are dedicated heart and soul to eradicating the, the, the neo-modernist errors from the Catholic Church and to return both to the hierarchy and to the, the poor faithful who have been abandoned by the hierarchy all these years, to return to them this treasure, this pearl of great price of the traditional Catholic faith, because it's only traditional Catholicism that is going to be able to give to souls that's that grace, that life of God that we need in order to save our souls and also to be sanctified. Another reason for writing this biography is to encourage 
other writers. Because, as I say, the older generation are dying off. And we don't want these stories to be lost. I know that there are a few... Uh, trad history books that are in the in the pipeline at the moment. I can think of three that I've been told about, and certainly much to be encouraged. The lives of these older priests, lest they be forgotten. The histories also of each of the traditional Catholic chapels, lest that be forgotten. And it's important, I think, for us to be able to get these things written down. It doesn't even have to be written down at the first. Obviously, a good thing is for, to be able to get to the old timers, and then to, even if it's like a recording, let them you know, make them a recording of what their their memories are from those early years, from the 60s and 70s and 80s, and then eventually take those recordings and then transcribe them and turn that into something that can be can be published. But I think this is an important thing, lest it be lost. Thank you for listening to or watching the SSPX podcast. Please keep in mind the best way to help more people see these videos and to hear this podcast is to subscribe on YouTube or subscribe on your favorite podcast app and rate or review wherever you listen. Also, please remember, this is an apostolate. It's free to listen or to watch anytime, but we also need your help. Would you please consider submitting a one-time donation or sign up for a small $5, $10, or $20 a month donation at sspxpodcast.com? This helps us to continue this important work of sharing the beauty and the truth of traditional Catholicism with as many people as possible. Until next time, thank you for listening, and God bless you.